Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're going to talk to you guys today about repentance and what that looks like. First of all, let's just talk about the word repentance because that's kind of a big word in the church for sure. And um, a lot of us have heard it. Um, I think when I hear of repent in my brain, I always think of like um, a negative, first of all. I don't think positively when I think of repentance. Mm -hmm. And I usually think of um, like a one-time act, like repentance is something that you do and... And if it's done right, then you'll ne- you never kind of deal with an issue again. It's kind of like one and done, you yeah. know what I mean, kind of deal. How about you? Yeah, that's always how I've seen it in my life. Um, I mean, when I was struggling with the sin, I still struggle, but when I was like seriously in bondage to the sin, I would hear people uh, from the pulpit say like, dude, if you're struggling with sin, you need to repent and you stop that. And so the idea that I had in my head was, oh, all I need to do is repent and then I'll never do it again. Um, and so whenever I would have uh, a tearful kind of a moment with God where I was like, man, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. I thought that that was repentance. But then when I fell back into it, I thought maybe I didn't really repent. Maybe I never have. Maybe I don't even know what it means. And so it, it kind of actually, instead of helping me, it actually became like something that hurt me. Yeah. And what I see a big problem like with what you're describing is this, is that if if we take repentance to be the idea of never going back to something, um, then really a lot of people in the Bible certainly have not repented. You know what I mean? A lot of people die in a very unrepented state. Mm. Um, And what I mean by that is people die polygamist, um, which is a sin. Mm. Um, People die, um, you know, as murderers, Mm. you know. So um, we don't. We don't hear like confessions, repentance of murder, repentance of, you know, sexual immorality on a whole. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we always look to, you know, David and Bathsheba mm-hmm. and, uh, and an instance of repentance. But on the whole, you just don't see a lot of that throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot of non-repentance that goes on. Um, so obviously it would be that a lot of these people died um you know, maybe never ever kind of recanting on their ideas of, say, polygamy, mm. which would be considered sexual immorality, you know. Um, so sometimes I think repentance is used as kind of like the, if you don't repent, then you're going down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there is an aspect of that that's true, mm. right? I mean, when we go through the book of Acts and we, we see the sermons that are preached, I mean, there's obviously a, 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 the idea of um, salvation, repentance mm. uh, in salvation. That's absolutely vital. Yeah. You know, someone cannot be saved unless they repent mm. of their unbelief and they turn away from it. Yeah. You know, and they move towards Christ. Yeah, and so I think the most important thing to define is just like what the word repentance means. Because yeah. like a lot of biblical language, we forget that these are words that people used every day. The biblical authors just adapted them and put them inside of their writings. So, I mean, people use the word repent all the time. It was a secular word. 
It was the Greek word metanoia, mm-hmm. and it was actually, it began, it originated as a military word, and it just mm-hmm. was the idea of an about face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Paul and the, and the authors, Peter and James and John, when they're writing the, the word repent, the idea that was going through people's head is, oh, on a 180-degree turn. That's what needs to happen. And so they never thought of it as a one-time act. They never thought of it as like, oh, I, I repent and then that's it. What they thought is, I turn around and I start walking in a new direction. So when Peter and the apostles are telling people, hey, repent and be saved, what they're saying is, you right now you're going in a direction that's going to lead you to, to hell. You're not believing in Jesus unto salvation. Uh, you think that your law can save you. You need to change the way you're thinking. You need to start coming towards Jesus, and then you're going to be saved. Um, and so in that sense, for a Christian, we all have repented, and that repentance did save us. So, for instance, for me in my life, there was a time where I was an atheist. Uh, I was walking away from God. I didn't want anything to do with God. And in an instant, um, God saved me, and there was a repentance in my life, meaning I, I decided I don't want to walk after the world anymore. I want to walk after Christ, and in that moment, I was saved. Yeah, and there's like a resolve. That's right. You a, know, a resolve to go that way. That's right, and there's it's just like no no stopping, no turning back. You know, you're going. Yeah. You know, and that that type of thing, and so yeah, in salvation, you certainly see you know this resolve. Um, now, when it comes to the, the the repentance that usually what we've kind of brought some examples of is the preacher saying, you know, repent. You know, it's usually he's talking to a Christian audience already. Mm. So uh, a Christian person is is there and, and, and you know, and they hear that and they kind of go, man, dude, I got to. You know, I got to repent of whatever issue they got. Um, our issue we'll talk about is sexual immorality, you know, and, you know, and they go, oh, man, OK, I, I'm going to make the change. So they make some changes and then and then, man, they find they still struggle with it, man. It's still in their mind. It's still in their heart. And they still gosh and they still and they go back to it. And then they're just like biffing it. And then they're just like, man, I didn't repent right. I got to repent harder, <laughs> you know, so they, so they try it again and again and again. And what do you see, like, maybe, is there something wrong with their definition of repentance, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, like I said, if it's if it's the idea of a direction and not a singular action, then that would have to be wrong. Mm-hmm. So, meaning, like, let's take something similar. Let's, uh, sim- simpler. Let's say I struggle with eating uh, too much, uh, you know, eating bad foods, and I decide, hey, I'm going to, and I'm, I don't even have to be a Christian to do this, but I could say, hey, I'm going to start eating healthier. All right, so that's the direction I'm going now. I, I was going after eating bad. Now I'm going to go after eating right. Yeah. Now, at any point in time, I can lose focus, and I could start, I could slip up. I could cheat on my diet. I could, I, I can mess up and start eating bad things again. It's me. You know, <laughs> right? And that happens to all of us, right? We all get our eyes off, off the, uh, off our purpose, off our goal. All that means is that you've, you're, you're not going in the direction that you originally set out in, and that means you just need to repent again. So it doesn't mean that your original resolve was wrong or not sincere. It just means that you lost focus. Yeah. And and so in the Christian life, just apply that to the Christian life. Yeah. So repentance becomes like a part of life, you know, and that's what I, I, I love. Um, um, a messianic rabbi out here who has put together a, a booklet that I've always used on this issue of repentance. But he says the Jewish concept of repentance is more than a one time decision. Mm. 
You know, it is a process, a lifestyle, a renewed mindset, a, f- a freshened way of approaching life. So I kind of like that because for a Christian who has the Holy Spirit, there's the ability to rep- repent. Yeah. You know, over and over, we have the ability to go, hey, that's the wrong direction. You know, I'm, I'm getting, I see myself moving back in that path, you know. And if, if it wasn't so, I mean, the Bible would never say, hey, you know, um, walk in this way. It would never say, you know, if you had no control over it, meaning if it wasn't, if it wasn't, if you didn't have a will to be able to move towards God, then God would never give us scriptures that would say, you know, move towards me. Yeah. You know, come to me like it's over and over in Jeremiah. Return you backsliding children, you know, mm. chapter four. Oh, Israel, return to me. It would be foolish if they couldn't return. <laughs> right. Yeah. And God's saying return to me, but you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't return. So there obviously is an ability in the people of Israel as the children of, of God, you know, to be able to turn towards towards the Lord, mm. you know. Um, but we also recognize that repentance is obviously a work of God, too, ultimately in us as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Second yeah. Timothy uh, 2, verse 25 says this, In humility, correct those who are in opposition, um, hoping that God would perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Mm-hmm. So Paul here clearly says to Timothy, hey, you need to correct people. But repentance is an act of God, mm-hmm. meaning the Holy Spirit moves in the believer. And it's a, actually the way he puts it. It's like a gift that mm-hmm. it's a gift that God gives us. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing that Christians need to have this. You know, once again, Paul's not writing to Timothy about evangelism. He's writing to Timothy about how to lead a church, how to mm-hmm. talk to believers. So mm-hmm. repentance is a, is a positive thing. It's a joyful thing. It's a gift from God. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's kind of we've touched on already some kind of big issues there, but um, but they're important ones for sure, you know. Um, so when someone says like repent, you know, I think the first kind of myth we want to kind of throw out is that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it's a one time act. Mm-hmm. Certainly in salvation, we see that there's a certainly a moment in time where there's a resolve towards Christ. But we see that in life issues of sanctification, of growing in our walks with Christ, there always is issues where we don't repent that well, or repentance needs to be a process and a lifestyle. And if someone says, well, no, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I just don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, well, then there would be no need to ever repent of like something ever again. Yeah. Right. So like you're, you're prideful one day, you know, when you were 17 and you said, I repent, <laughs> I'm, I'm turning away from pride. Then you would never need to go back. You would never be prideful ever again, mm. you know? So you would never overeat again. You would never do anything again. Right. So to use it in that way that it's a one time thing for sanctification, for our growth in Jesus Christ, mm. really, really, it really, I think what it does is a damage to a believer where they start going, oh my gosh, I think the pastor, like, he repents. And what, what, what I think he means by that is that the pastor doesn't struggle with anything. Like, he probably doesn't struggle with pride 
or jealousies or greed because he's repented of all that, hmm. you know. And so it's a it's a one time deal. It's just done. He doesn't. And so he probably doesn't sin because he's repented of everything. Yeah. You know, so and then it makes someone in the congregation who's thinking this way go, wow, you know, I don't I don't know if I can really talk to him about like what I'm dealing with because I I don't think he's going to get it. Like, yeah. I, I think he's going to, I think, like, maybe I'm a mess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or and maybe I'm not a Christian. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the top examples of repentance that we have in the Bible, Psalm 51 from King David, which I'm pretty sure we'll touch on later on, um, or Second Corinthians 7, uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you have, after David wrote Psalm 51, he still struggled. He still struggled sexually. He still struggled as a father. He still struggled as a king. You see that guy biff it tons of times after he wrote Psalm 51. Second Corinthians 7, where Paul, uh, he encourages the Corinthians about their repentance. He still corrects them in that very same chapter about a lot of different things that they're still messing up. So the idea that repentance has to mean we don't sin again is just, it's not founded in the Bible whatsoever. It's yeah. just not, it's not there. Yeah, so it's important, I think, to, to try to listen to speakers who kind of, um, understand that, you know, about repentance, or else you might get this notion that, oh my gosh, like, I can't tell anybody, and I think that's why maybe things like pornography, um, or other sexual sins, you know, stay so secret. Like I had one time a, a leader in a church come up to me and say, hey, um, you know, I, I have a fantasy of whenever I drive by a massage place, mm. I have a fantasy, you know. And, you know, you and you could tell it's been something that's been kind of wrecking havoc in him for like a long period of time, you know. And he just he just felt like he could talk to me because he's heard me teach a bunch and he he knew that I wasn't going to just say, oh, dude, repent. And, you know, he knew I wasn't going to have that kind of attitude. But I would say, okay, yeah, let's, let's repent. But what does that look like? Mm. What do we mean by that? Yeah. You know, um, you know, or, or have you repented of that? Or are you, are you wanting to walk away from it? Or, or, you know, just having a different approach than that. Just, dude, you need to repent. And, mm. and that's kind of it, you know. But, um, yeah, because there's a lot of people out there that I think, you know, we live in such a sexualized culture. It's, a, it's so hard. It would be virtually impossible not to think about some of these things. Right. You know, and, mm. and when someone's thinking about it and they go, man, I've thought about this now for a long period of time. You know, um, they need to talk to someone. And so how we utilize that word repentance and especially a leadership position could really um, 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 deter, deter people away from talking to us, you know. So what do you see in the big repentance passage in um, whether it's Psalm 32 or Psalm 51? Um, which one do you which one do you want to you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I obviously um, both of them are so great. Uh, I think that there's just I, I don't really think you could you could just put one above the other because Psalm 32 deals so much with the idea of confession before God, mm-hmm. which is so huge in repentance. And I honestly don't think that you could repent without that. Um, and then Psalm 51 is more of a. It's more of a crying out or pouring out of his emotions before God in the moment, um, which is obviously another really important aspect 
to repentance. And he kind of, in Psalm 51, he talks about his his wrong thoughts and his wrong motivations and his wrong desires, and he asks God to correct them, which are all parts of repentance. So, uh, yeah, I really don't think you could you could say one's better than the other. I think they're both just necessary to take as a whole when you're understanding the the perspective of repentance. Mm, and they're both that you. I mean, everybody should read these these two psalms. I mean, just read them back to back, and you'd just be like, wow, these are just incredible. Incredible Psalms. Um, you know, I, I, I've always learned from um, the Messianic rabbis that that repentance is built off three legs of a stool, mm. you know, and that is the acknowledgement of the, the trespass. Because mm. um, sometimes we don't realize it, so we need to have maybe someone tell us and then we acknowledge it. So we acknowledge it for what it is. Yeah. And then we confess it, and that is to say the same thing that God says about it. Yeah. And then what we do is now we work on moving a different direction. Mm. That repentance carries is 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 on those three legs. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it that's what it is. And I love that picture of a stool, man, because you take out one of those legs, the thing is not going to stand. Yeah. And I think one of the problems that we have in the Christian church is, first of all, I think the Christian church believes that repentance is an emotional experience, mm-hmm. and that's not true. Um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, he says, godly sorrow leads to repentance, but godly sorrow certainly is not repentance. <laughs> godly sorrow, sorrowing over what you did before God is a necessary step to get you to repentance, but that's not what repentance is. And so, so many Christians, I think they believe, you know, if I just go home, I hit my knees and I start crying before God, or if I, if I'm at a camp or something like that, or a men's retreat and, and the sermon starts pulling on my heartstrings, I'm just like, oh, I'll never do it again. You know, like that's repentance. We've all had those moments. Yeah, we've all had those moments, but that's not repentance. That's not what repentance is. Uh That moment could lead you to repent, Uh but it certainly isn't repentance. And describe how that works. Like, how does it work where you have the sorrow, the emotion, and, and then how does that get you to the place of actual repentance? Right, and and that is so key to understanding it because actually, first of all, and, and this is important not only for those who are listening who are seeking repentance, seeking a heart of repentance, but it's also really important for if you're a spouse of someone, you know, how, how do you know if they're really repentant? How do you know if they're really going to change this time? Um, and the thing that I love most about the Bible it is unique among any other religious document um, when it comes to this issue because it says that repentance can be observed, that you can see it. And I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we're talking about the idea of, of sorrow, first of all, it, it, it brings up two different types of sorrow. It says that there's a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. And a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow will look exactly the same from the outside. Mm-hmm. The only difference is what's going on in the heart of the person who's weeping. Mm-hmm. And so the problem that we get is that a lot of people are like, man, I want to repent, but I don't feel sorry for what I did. Mm-hmm. So how do I start feeling sorry? And that's where we get Christian asceticism, um, which was a practice back, back in ancient times where people would whip themselves or cut themselves in order to feel bad about what they did because they didn't feel sorry. Right. So and, it's, like, it's like making yourself feel bad for what you did. That's right. I don't feel bad for <laughs> this, but how can... You know, and that's really like castration, that asceticism. Yeah. You know, when we read of people, you know, the saints of old castrating themselves, that's Ugh. kind of what it was. It was like a form yeah. of asceticism. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, and that, that's kind of weird because, you know, when you think of pornography, you know, part of part of me is having to be honest to go... I like 
a certain kind of pornography. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I have to get real with that. Yeah. Like, where a part of me wants to do that asceticism. Yeah. You know, like, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. A horrible, horrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's and emotional maybe, asceticism, right? And maybe yeah. the consequence yeah. will, maybe I can make a really bad consequence. Like, maybe my wife will get mad at me or maybe I'll get fired or something. And, yeah. and then, you know, then I'll really feel bad. Yeah, and that's you why know? you have addicts. Usually, like, uh, for me, when I was uh, viewing pornography and stuff like that, there was a little secret part of me that wanted to get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought that way. Yeah. I thought, man, maybe if someone catches me, then it's going to happen. Then it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that will do it. But here's the thing. If that's the way you think, all that is, is worldly sorrow. Yeah. Because if my wife catches me or if I get fired or if I'm making myself feel bad, well, the question that you have to ask yourself is why do you feel bad? Mm-hmm. And the answer is either a, because I made myself feel bad or B, I'm sorry for the consequences that are now happening to me. Either way, that is a self-reflective sorrow, meaning you're only thinking about yourself. Yeah. And so that sorrow can never actually change you because the real key, the real problem that's inside of my heart is that I'm not looking at God. Right. And right. that, and that, that's kind of what I was thinking when you're talking is like the problem is, is that that kind of asceticism or infliction of, of bad on us to get us to finally realize that this thing's bad is is it's it's not a pursuit of God. Mm. It, it really is a pursuit of just not watching pornography. Yeah, you know, or not going to the strip club. That's the pursuit. The pursuit is a, is just that's the goal. Mm. The goal is to no longer, you know, go to the strip club or do whatever you're doing. Right. And that that should never be the goal. The goal is always to get closer to Christ, mm. to draw close to Jesus. Yeah. That should be the ultimate goal. And yeah. it's through drawing close to Jesus that I don't want to do these things anymore. I, I am drawn more away from these things, mm. you know. And that, to me, produces a, a Christ righteousness. It produces the righteousness of Christ because it's a pursuit of him. Right. You know, I'm pursuing him. Right. And instead of the goal being, oh, I'm just off of it. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's my goal. Oh, I'm off of it. Well, how did you get off of it? Well, I just felt bad about it. Yeah. You know, me, I felt bad about it. Yeah. You know, if you feel bad about something, you're going to stop it. Yeah. You know, and so that's what you got to do. So here, take this program yeah. <laughs> and feel bad about it. Yeah. Watch this video. Or cut your, you cut your yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's obviously not God-glorifying, that's self-glorifying. And that's the problem to begin with, is that we're selfish and that we don't seek after the Lord. Yeah. And so godly sorrow, the, the way I like the, the whole the Hebrew mindset is I think the Hebrew mindset perfectly describes what it is. It's that acknowledgement. That's godly sorrow. I acknowledge that I objectively sinned before God. That's what godly sorrow is. Um, because if I don't see it that way, then my sin's not objective, it's subjective. Meaning, well, yeah, I viewed pornography, or, or yeah, I committed adultery on my wife, but it's really only bad because I got caught, or it's really only bad because my wife is feeling bad, or it's really only bad because I'm hurting my family, or it's really only mm-hmm. bad, does that make sense? There's, there's, only, there's, there's so many doors you can open up of subjective wrong, yeah. and it's never objectively wrong. It's never, it's wrong no matter what. No matter if no one caught me, no matter if no one saw, it was just a wrong thing to do because God said no. Yeah. And and so acknowledging that God, you know, as David does in Psalm 51, before you and you only have I sinned, Lord God, 
is such a beautiful recognition. And in Psalm 32, he expresses how no matter how many good things he did or how much he tried to look righteous, in Psalm 32, he says, man, your hand was heavy, heavy on me. me. Dude, I couldn't get away with it. Right. Man. Like I knew that I had a beef with God, yeah. and I just couldn't admit it. And so that acknowledgement of sin for David was the godly sorrow. Yeah. That's what it was. It was the godly sorrow. And it was the acknowledgement before God that enabled David to then confess the sin, meaning to say yeah. what God says about the sin, not just before God, but before men as well. That's right. And then when you move into like the third part of repentance, which is, you know, dealing with it, you know, um, cutting off the avenue or whatever it is you're doing, it's not asceticism because it's not that you're doing it to make you feel bad, <laughs> you know, so that you have a right heart with God. Yes. You're actually doing the cutting off with joy. Mm. You're actually glad to do it. Right. You know, and that's the difference, I think, between like the heart of asceticism mm. and the heart that Jesus is saying about cutting off your right hand or, mm. uh, or your eye, which is a part of repentance. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's one of them. One of them you're doing because you feel like, you know, it's it's showing God how sorry you are or it's it's trying to get that sorrowful heart mm. through through that action, that violent action of cutting off instead of. Instead of with joy, we lose everything mm. to to find the treasure, you know, mm. to to buy the field that the treasure's in. Yeah. As Matthew um, 13, I think, 44 talks about. But yeah. so to me, there's there's a distinction there. You yeah. know, I mean, it would have to be because, again, in Psalm 32, the misery was not confessing before God and the joy came in. In the acknowledgement before God. Yeah, isn't that cool? Just the yeah. acknowledgement of, of before God. Just coming to God and saying, hey, God, man, I have sinned mm. before you, you know, and that's what I've done. That's, yeah. You know, that alone was, was a, you know, a joy to David, yeah. you know, to be able to do that. Yeah, and I would, I would encourage people to read, when you read Psalm 32 and when you read Psalm 51, or even David's confession before Nathan, and I think it's 2 Samuel 15 mm-hmm. or 16, uh, one of those chapters, read how many words David uses when he says, I'm wrong. He doesn't launch into a full six-hour sermon of, you don't understand, like, you know, my parents, they did this and that, and man, it's a one-time thing, I'll never do it again. Read his confession, all it is is, I sinned. I blew it. You know, so if you really want to know, especially for you uh, wise out there, you really want to know, where's my husband at? Man, if he has to launch into a 45-minute discussion about why he did it and yeah. you got to look at it from my angle yeah. and my intention wasn't this or yeah. stuff, stuff like that, he's not getting it. Yeah. It, it's people who are truly have that godly sorrow, that acknowledgement before God are just like, you know what? I blew, I blew it. it. I blew yeah. it. There's no other way to put it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it choked. I, I blew it. You know, there's nothing I could say to justify it. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no circumstance that would make this all right. It's mm-hmm. just I blew it. Yeah. You know, done. No, it's so it's so right on. You know, I think the other things that you know we could help maybe uh, a wife with. Um, or a husband, again, it could be vice versa. We're men, so we always, you know, talk from that perspective, but we understand, we certainly understand how many women, you know, are, are, you know, view pornography too and things like that, but, um, so it could be the other way around. But, you know, the other, the other way is I think when you see a husband that, that, um, 
is okay, like has has a joy to work on it. Hmm. You know, when you have a husband who's who's open, you know, to work on it and who has a joy about changing parts of his life, hmm. you know, and things like that, where it's not a bummer. He's not like drag. You know, he's not like dragging around the house like. <gasps> it's going to be over (laughs) yeah yeah totally you know um what about you is there anything else you can think of yeah i mean i think what you just described there is the diligence that paul Mm -hmm. speaks of in second corinthians 7 he says Mm -hmm. what diligence it produced in you Mm -hmm. i mean what's a diligent worker it's a hard worker it's someone who's just doing their job no matter if no one's watching they're just vigilant they're just doing it it doesn't matter who's watching them or who's looking at them they're always seeking betterment because their goal is Christ. Mm-hmm. So who cares who's watching me or, or whether or not my wife forgives me? Who, who cares? My goal and my prize is in Jesus. You yeah. know, and I'm running after that, that guy no matter what. Yeah. That's what a diligent worker does. And another thing that's really important, I think this is really key in Psalm 51, is that what you see in David in Psalm 51 is a self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning, I, I know that you can chime in with this too. It always frustrates me when I ask a man, why did you do this? And he just says, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, why Why did you commit adultery? Why, what were you looking for? You know, what were you doing? He's just like, I don't know. And I could tell that there's just, no, he's not even thought about it. Yeah. There's like not even, there's not even been a thought in his head that's been like, why did I do it? You know, it's just like, well, you know, it was just, it was late at night and, clicked on something and that's how it happened you know for david he looks at it and he's like no there were so many things that led up to it my heart was wrong my motivation was wrong my desires are wrong yeah. i get satisfaction through this and so at in his self-reflection of his heart he realizes man like look at how many things were off in my heart and how many how much emptiness was inside of me and how empty do i have to be to try to find my satisfaction in pornography or inside of another woman you know mm-hmm. And David recognizes that and he looks inside and he sees that and he starts confessing those things to God mm. and seeking that healing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's that's so true. I mean, we always want people to think through, you know, why they do what they do. Um, and, and it's amazing. Again, when, when we talk about pornography, it's like, you know, we don't want to I mean, I know we say it in a general way. You know, like, you know, pornography and, 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 and I don't really like that too much. And one of these days we'll do a podcast on just porn. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> That'd be a good one. Yeah. And we just talk cool. about pornography and, um, you know, cause there's all different, there's all, you know, not everybody's viewing for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's really, I think, vital that we all look to why, mm-hmm. you know, why do we view it? Why do we like it? Um, and I think some of the answers are, are very profound. I don't think I don't I, I don't think they're as like alarming as as you know how we are led to believe. You know, it's mm-hmm. like oh my god, you know what I mean? You viewed this or stuff like that. But you know, there's there's a lot of just simple reasons of why mm-hmm. we are attracted not just to pornography, but to so many things mm-hmm. in the world. You know. There's so many things that are attractive to us and that we don't even know that we've that we've conformed to already patterns of the world. But they they have become a comfort in a way, Um, you know, and so we have conformed to them. Um, So, um, you know, uh, you know, one of these days we'll have to talk about that a little more. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And if you're if you're not thinking through it, 
Uh, here's another danger you can get into, especially as a man. And I think the Internet is more dangerous than just having pornography sites on it. And here's what I mean. As a man, when you struggle with pornography, what the temptation is to do is to start going on websites and looking up porn addiction. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that you'll get a lot of people, a lot of so-called experts talking about what porn addiction is, and they're going to start cooker cutting, you know, cookie cuttering it. Yeah. Of just like, this is what porn addiction looks like. This is the kind of site that you're going to go to. This is what you're going to do. This is what it's going to do to your marriage. Right. And they just, they make everything just like blank slate. And so you as a man, if you've never thought through it yourself and you start just listening to other people talk to you about, you know, your, right. your quote unquote addiction, <laughs> right. you're going to start like trying to fit that mold. You're yeah. going to start being like, oh man, that's what I am, you know, and you're yeah. going to start thinking that way. Yeah. But if you stop and you say like, no, like I need to look at it before God, God, you know, by your Holy Spirit, guide me, show me. Yeah. Search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. That's right. right. That's right. You know, and if you're not praying that, if you're not seeking, uh, you know, like seeking that wisdom, you're you're never going to get the help that you need because if you don't destroy the root, you're going to go back. Yeah, and again, the the answer is not to. I mean, the the big issue is that the answer is not first to get off of porn. Yeah. Because again, you can get off of porn, and you still have all the character flaws mm. that are still rooted in you mm. that have led you to do that, but led you to do whatever else you're doing. Maybe it can be a self-righteous reason. Mm. So you are you are clean, you are pure, and there's so many examples of people that are pure, whether it's Pharisees, Sadducees, probably more Pharisees, you know, than the Sadducees, but the, the Pharisees in the Bible. But even in history, you know, people that have been leaders of governments that have been on, you know, purity missions, you know, to rid the world of pornography or things like that, but yet their hearts were so corrupted just intently corrupted. So you can't just look to the idea of, hey, I'm pure sexually, and therefore I'm good with God, Mm. you know? And that's what will happen if you don't really deal with the issue between you and God. And you really have God search your heart and speak to you on that issue, you know, personally, individually, you know, privately, where you know your life, you know why you go to this, you understand now why you're doing it, and you, you see the flaw in you, and you, you go to God and you cry out, and you, and you say, man, God, change my heart, because my heart is prone, I am so prone to error, you know, and I see it not just in this area, but I see it how it moves in other areas in this way too, mm-hmm. and and Lord, help help you to be my refuge and my fortress, and, 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 you know, so you're not stample, stamping that label on you or, you know, this, you know, porn sucks and, you know, I'm just addicted to it and that's why I don't. But now I haven't done it in a month and, you know, <laughs> did it, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, again, you still might, again, be a jerk, yeah. you know what I mean, <laughs> and not really dealing with your heart. Yeah. Yeah. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, has the famous chapter on the great sin of pride. Yeah. And uh, this is what he says about pride. He says... He says, pride does not come from our animal nature at all. It comes direct from hell. <laughs> it is purely spiritual. Consequently, is far more deadly and dangerous than any other vice. And he said, because of this, the devil is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time he is setting you up for the dictatorship of pride. Mm. 
And mm. it's just such a great quote. Yeah, it is you awesome. It's such a great the dictatorship. Quote. Yeah. That's what I think of. It's like, I think it was Hitler that actually had a purity movement in yeah. Germany. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And I think of that and I just go, wow, that's so crazy. You know, it's mm. like, get the, you know, rid the world of any, you know, sexual filth. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yet all the while that pride is just, man, there. That's why I think C.S. Lewis calls it, I think, the diabolical sin. Yeah. You know? He does. He does. Yeah. And it's so right on. So, I mean, great things to think about, uh, think through both in your own life, you know, praying all the time and reading through these passages all the time. Because, again, we as Christians, we should always be repenting, constant status of repentance. So me as a, as a, as a godly man wanting to go after Christ, I should be reading 2 Corinthians 7, Psalm 32, Psalm 51 all the time, thinking like, man, am I doing that in my pride? Am I doing that? In my selfishness? Am I doing that in my lust? Because again, the goal is always Christ. And and for you wives, you know, reading through these passages and saying, you know, like, is my husband really changing? Is he really setting up, you know, is he setting himself up for another fall? Or is he really seeking that godly sorrow, that repentance that's going to lead him to salvation, that it's going to benefit him? Mm -hmm. You know, is he surrounding himself with godly counselors that are going to help him and lead him and guide him in right paths? You know, these are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. I mean, I just think of counseling people. You know, if a wife thinks that repentance is going to be like a one-time shot, Oh, man, she's in for such a a long ride and such a lot of letdowns. You know, if she doesn't understand the things that we've talked about, about pursuing Christ first, um, and that's what repentance is, and she sees it as just staying off of something, then then she's going to be crazily let down because her target's the wrong at the wrong place, man. You know what I mean? Um, And um, she's not thinking, I think, squarely, you know, so... Um, so it's a big issue. It's a important one. It's one to certainly work through theologically, you know, mm-hmm. with the Bible and, and wrestle through it. Because if we don't, I think that's where a lot of our letdowns in marriage come from and things like that. It's like I, I just can't imagine like you going to a wife, going to a, a, one of, a, you know, a wife that you have and saying, you know, gosh, you know, I mean, I've been with you 15, 20 years and I notice you keep overeating and. And you obviously haven't repented. Mm. I mean, that would be radical. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would just be radical. She would just break down, man. She'd just be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Toast. It's like how many women out there struggle with weight? Mm. You know? Uh, I mean, so many, Mm. right? They struggle with, you know, how much weight they put on, what they eat. And the culture is littered with bad food. Yeah. I mean, predominantly, probably 90% of all the food is probably stuff we don't really need to consume, mm. you know? And 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 if if, you know, if their heart was one where they went, man, you know, they told you when you got married that they struggled with food and you guys have talked about it that that's that's an area of their life that they bring before the Lord. You know, and you see them for 15, 20 years struggling with that and you you talk, but I mean, could you imagine the blow if you just went like, well, you know what? I I don't really know if I should be married to you because you've never really repented of food. Mm. Oh, man. Dude, what a blow. That would be radical, yeah. That would be like, <laughs> you know, you know that kind of thing if you took that stance mm. on repentance. Mm. you know. So what if you come to the guy and you say, what? You lusted again? Mm. You had a, a, a bad thought? Or, or you struggled with pornography again? Mm. Like, that's it. I'm done. Mm. You know, 
I mean, it, to a guy who's been open about it and who's trying to work on it and he's mm. doing the right things like having accountability in his life, and, mm. um, that's not a surefire way that he's going to, it's never going to be in his life. Right. You know, right. that just means he's on the path. He's on the path. And that's, yeah. and that's beautiful. And that's why we do always kind of recommend, you know, depending on where the wife is at. But I know that usually when I counsel people, I know when you do too, Bo, we, we usually recommend that the wife is not the primary accountability partner for the husband uh, because she can't take that. You know, she's not in the place where she can give that good counsel uh, without receiving the condemnation of feeling like, man, he doesn't love me, he doesn't care for me. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for, for me as a man, uh, for, the sa- for the sanctity of my wife's mind to have good, godly male counselors in my life that I go to, that I do feel comfortable confessing everything to, and who I know are going to give me that good counsel. You know, mm-hmm. they're... Uh, I'm definitely not trying to surround myself with dudes who are going to be like, dude, porn is awesome. Yeah, it's great. You know, but, uh, but, you know, you know, people like yourself, Bo, who Mm -hmm. are able to talk to me and talk me through it. Like, why did you do that? You know, why weren't you seeking God? Isn't there betterment in Christ? You know, things like that that are going to actually benefit me and Mm -hmm. continue to keep me on that level, uh, path of repentance and not get me deviated one way or the other. Yeah, right on. So that we, I know we haven't touched on everything, and there's always more to talk about with these issues. But if you do have any questions, you certainly can can uh, email us. Um, you can uh, find us on Twitter at Running Light Ministries. You can find us on the iTunes Store at Running Light Ministries or SoundCloud. Um, and you can email us at either Peter at RunningLight.org or Bo B E A U at Running Light. So we'll um, we'll do uh, until our next podcast. Um, God bless you guys. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.